welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. This week, we're continuing our Jesus Loafs You series. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am Micah, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Today, we continue our Jesus Loafs You series with our Friend in Need episode. Shout out to Pastor JM for this title. Also, I just realized that friend in need is doubly appropriate for Micah, because not only do you need sourdough bread, but also cats need you all the time. They do, and it's really adorable and very comforting. That's adorable! In today's episode, we'll discuss the readings for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 18 or Proper 13, which this year falls on August 1st. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Today, for our Friend in Need episode, we have special guest Micah Luaji, a recent Warburg Seminary graduate and candidate for Word and Sacrament Ministry in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They enjoy strong coffee, cats, biking, reading, and of course, baking bread. Welcome, Micah! Thank you! Yay! We are excited to have you on. You are our bread baker of the series. And I'm curious how you got into bread baking. I know a lot of people did in the pandemic, but you have been bread baking since well before the pandemic. I have, yes. So um, I promise this relates. I grew up on a dairy farm. And as a really low income family, we had to be resourceful. And I remember my mother baking bread as a child. And um, she didn't bake sourdough. But I just I remember as a little kid, my mom would slice the bread when it was still warm and like put butter on it. And just like receiving this like beautiful, warm, tasty slice of bread is a very deeply ingrained memory. And then when I was, um, I started seminary at Luther Seminary, and I made a friend who had a sourdough starter, and I was immediately fascinated. And the cool thing about sourdough starters is you can just, like, let them grow and then split them and share them. So she shared her starter with me. Yeah. And then, and that is kind of how I got started on the sourdough train. Cool. And I think if you split a sourdough starter, the bread starts out tasting the same but then if like you have moved a couple of times since then and so probably your sourdough starter now tastes a little different than than the one that belongs to the person who shared it with you originally yeah for sure and (laughs) i no longer have my original sourdough starter it died r.i.p philippe oh goodness (laughs) right um but they're very they're easy to i figured out how to create one on my own it it literally just takes flour and water and then you let it ferment it's awesome but yeah so you have so you have a new sourdough like this is literally first generation sourdough starter yeah its name is rebecca lovely excellent did your other sourdough starter have a name philippe i thought so i was like i can't remember what the name was but so you have one sourdough starter right now do you have any other starters i had a rye sourdough starter for a while which was super fun. But keeping two going is kind of a lot. The last four years I've been in seminary. The last two years I transferred from Luther to Wartburg and then did a hybrid program. So I've been doing full-time classes and then a part-time internship plus an interim gig with my supervisor. Um, So that it's, yeah, 
that's a lot, lot going on. Yeah. Did your rye starter have a name? It did not. Sad days. Well, rest in peace, rye starter. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of baking bread and like both like a general, what do you, bread, what? And <laughs> what you do. <laughs> bread, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so I have to start out by feeding my starter. And so the way that works is I use a two to one to one ratio and I use a kitchen scale because that's a little more accurate than like measuring cups. So when I feed my starter, I usually start out with like 300 grams of starter, 100 grams of warm water, and then 100 grams of regular unbleached flour. And I usually mix that with my hands because it's satisfying. Mm. It's a really fun texture experience. <laughs> and it's a way to connect with my starter. They are, after all, living organisms. And then I wait until my starter gets like nice and bubbly and that tells me that it's like, it's well-fed, it's active, it's getting really yeasty. And then I start with my bread recipe. So I combine my starter with um, a cup and a half of lukewarm water. The amount of flour I use varies on how humid it is. I honestly go by texture a lot, but I usually mm. use between five and six. You're one of those bakers. I am one of those <laughs> bakers. <laughs> but I use between five and six cups of flour usually. And then I add in roughly a teaspoon and a half of salt. I also tend to uh, fudge that a little bit. Once again, one of those bakers. Mm -hmm. And if I want to add a little bit of sweetness to my bread, I will add a couple tablespoons of honey. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I usually hear about sugar. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I have a... A bread machine that I use occasionally, and we love it, but and it's totally cheating when it comes to bread making, and I'm fine with that. But <laughs> the thing about a yeast bread is that you really can't fudge the measurements at all unless you really know what you're doing. So is sourdough a little more forgiving? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, I have had plenty of loaves turn out like like bricks that just like didn't rise yeah <laughs> so you can you can fudge it to a certain extent so like if my starter didn't get enough time or um sometimes if i haven't used it in a long time i'll have to feed it two or three times before i can bake with it to get it like nice and active so if my starter's not active enough i just won't get enough of a rise in my bread or if I didn't let the dough proof for long enough to get all of, you know, the fun sciencey things going on, then it won't turn out. So Okay. But you have to like for for sourdough starters, do you also have like stuff when you feed it? I had a sourdough starter for like a quick minute because somebody forced it upon me. By which I mean gifted it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever made any bread with it. But I did make pancakes with the sourdough starter reject. Is that a thing? Oh, yes. Sourdough pancakes are a thing, and they are delicious. I remember really liking the pancakes when I made them. They get a fantastic flavor, and honestly, using the sourdough reject, you get, I think, a little bit of the rise. So I'm trying to recall my sourdough pancake recipe. It also involves like baking soda and baking powder. So 
And I believe I'm not remembering correctly because I've not had a lot of coffee yet today. <laughs> One of those acts as kind of a little bit of a rising agent. So mm. the starter mostly just adds moisture and flavor, I believe. Yeah. I think it's the baking powder baking that's the powder. rising agent. Yes. Thank yes. you, Pastor K. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I have to say that the process of keeping and feeding a sourdough starter has always kind of sounded like the Tamagotchi or Neopets craze when I was a kid, uh, because you have to pay regular attention to it, but it's not an all-the-time kind of thing. You just have to check in on a, on a set basis. And I have ADHD. That sounds like a complete nightmare that I would fail. <laughs> um, I strongly suspect that I have ADHD. But when it comes to activities that I enjoy, my hyper focus kicks in. So I think that helps, that helps yeah. me out a little bit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I sometimes forget to feed it. Luckily, sourdough starters are surprisingly forgiving. Okay. So. And they don't make those horrible beeping noises when you forget about them, like the Tamagotchis do. Correct. <laughs> I was also wondering, Micah, have you seen that Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode about the sourdough starter? I have not. I have not. I, I think the it. sourdough starter is actually a, a B plot, um, but there's a Brooklyn Nine Nine episode called "Chasing Amy," uh, where Amy is is supposed to be taking her sergeant's exam and is freaked out by it. Uh, and the, there's a side plot of uh, the Boyle family sourdough starter, which gets passed down, and Charles and Gina wind up having an argument over who's going to get it, and general melodrama ensues. Uh, but uh, the thing about the Boyle family sourdough starter, it's the, is that it's like generations old. It has been around since the beginning of time, and essentially. Um, and I guess if a sourdough starter, the older it gets, the more flavor it tends to have. Yeah. Hmm. So. so I don't, so I probably, as someone who doesn't actually like sourdough, don't hate me, would not like older sourdough starter breads, but like... I might love Rebecca. Yeah, you would probably love Rebecca. My bread doesn't tend to get that like super tangy sourdough taste. It also might depend on the climate and the region that you're in and what sort of like microbiome your starter is in because each starter is actually a little different because when you combine this flour and water to make one and just let it sit, it just gathers yeast from whatever environment you're in. It's like harvesting wild yeast. Super cool. Mm. The categories. And I know that there's a, a famous bakery in San Francisco that's like the ultimate San Francisco sourdough bread. And you can actually buy sourdough starters from them. But they warn you that when you buy them and then you take them home to somewhere that isn't San Francisco, after several weeks, it will start tasting different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Hi, kitty. So, Micah. I think I remember one time, so we are friends outside of this podcast, obviously, because most people that we have on are friends of at least one of us, but I think I remember when I visited you, I think when you were still in the Twin Cities, um, you, were you were talking about doing pulpit supply and baking bread for it. Is that, like, I'm curious how you have been connecting because you right like your first sourdough starter was from a friend this whole journey has been during seminary as you're preparing to be a word and sacrament minister which is like the ELCA language for a pastor so I'm, I'm curious about those connections for you if it's just like this is my side thing that I do to escape or if there's more of a connection oh there's a definite connection 
Every once in a while, when I have supply preached in the past, I have also offered to make communion bread using just my regular sourdough recipe. Um, and it's it's kind of, it's a hospitality thing. It's, mm. you know, showing that little bit of love and care that goes into, you know, pastoring, even if it's just, you know, supply preaching for one Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I did serve a congregation on the Iron Range. They're, they're the lone RIC congregation on the Iron Range in Northeast Minnesota. Shout out to Messiah Lutheran and Mountain Iron. I love you all. <laughs> and I filled in for a pastor for two months in the summer, and I did bake a lot of the communion bread that summer because they had told me, well, we just use store-bought bread. Sometimes we just like settle for hot dog buns or something, and that made me kind of sad. So, so I offered to bake communion bread and it was honestly one of the best experiences ever to be able to play a role in preparing the bread that was then like consecrated and shared freely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's super meaningful. And now I'm wondering if there are different bread recipes that are most appropriate for certain seasons of the church year, like liturgically speaking. Like I think brioche would make a lot of sense for Easter because there's so much butter and and sweetness in it. And sourdough feels more like a Lent kind of thing because the sour tang. Yeah. Yeah. And And I don't know what I was thinking about rye and Advent. Ooh. Sure. Rye has excellent flavor. And Chala could work for Christmas because it has all the eggs in it, and eggs are just like little baby Jesus. Or is that more of a <laughs> <laughs> that just sent my Stop. brain on a tangent of trans Jesus as an egg? <laughs> <laughs> um, Micah, I don't think our listeners quite know what an egg is in like trans community stuff. Can you? maybe let us know um and yeah so and this is this is like my my perspective from what i have observed and learned as a trans person about we fellow trans folks and egg is somebody Mm -hmm. who is really just starting to explore their trans identity like they may not have come out yet they're still really trying to figure all this stuff out and they just Mm -hmm. they need a little help hatching or blossoming or growing into themselves Thank you. It's it's a common like it's a common thing for those of us who are trans, but I don't know that like other people would. Yeah. For that one. Okay. Do we have anything for Epiphany and Ordinary Time and Pentecost? What would be I a mean, good Pentecost bread? I really want to know a Pentecost bread now. Is there a kind of bread that's best cooked over actual fire? You can make bread over actual fire. I mean, I have a friend who's building like a brick pizza oven in his backyard. Awesome. My, my uncle is a potter and he doesn't do pottery anymore because of arthritis and stuff. So at one point during the pandemic, he sold his kiln, I think. And it was like one of those outdoor kilns. And a friend of his was a baker and wanted to. And so they built a brick oven in where the kiln was on his property. And then my uncle would send me, they'd bake bread, like rolls of bread like that are they look like knots like somebody tied them oh yeah seven or not and then they'd bake it on wednesday morning he would package it and ship it and it would get to me on saturday night and then 
our congregation throughout the pandemic, except for like the first Sunday, because we were like, ah, it's Friday night and we're going online on Sunday. But aside from that, we've been doing communion at home virtually the whole time. And so then I would have communion bread and my uncle would keep a loaf or two. And so he and his wife at 8 a.m. Pacific time would eat some bread and our worship service was at 10 a.m. Central time. So same time. So at the same time, we were like communing across and they don't have internet or any of that. So they're like not participating in the service, but like it was this beautiful, like connection piece, which is a whole tangent of like, yeah, the big verb. Yeah. Oh, I love that though. Um, I do make my favorite sourdough to make is roasted garlic and rosemary. Ooh, and I, that sounds excellent. I always use extra roasted garlic. <laughs> Why have we never had this, Micah? I would like to tell our listeners that the incredibly betrayed look on Emily's face is quite memorable. It is. Yeah. Emily, I promise you the next time that we are together in real life, face to face, I will make this bread for you. Yes. I'll even give you a jar of pear preserves as tax. (laughs) The extremely distraught and betrayed face changed into a very, very excited face for our listeners at home. Also, there's like, I remember an episode of Great British Baking Show where it was the final and they had to cook, I think it was either pita or naan or some sort of flatbread over open coals, open fire. That would also work. Ooh, yeah. For Pentecost. Oh my gosh. Pizza Pentecost bread? Yes, please. Flame broiled pizza. Absolutely. What's an ordinary? And I think whole wheat would work for ordinary time. Ooh, yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about Epiphany. Yeah, right? Like, what do you do for Epiphany? The season How do you put light into bread? (laughs) The season of light, the manifestation of God. Easy bake oven bread. Cooked over a light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) That was brilliant. It would be so terrible, and yet. I was. Hey, my easy bake baked goods were delightful when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm glad to hear I that. I was actually thinking, thinking of actually like. A light bulb. I know we brought up rye for another season, but like a really dark rye bread for Epiphany, because Epiphany also tends to be the time where we conflate lightness with Jesus and white people, and that's a big no in my book. Yeah. Correct. And it is definitely part of the darker time of the year, too. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Is there a different one that we could use for Advent? I mostly just, like, knew that rye needed to be in there. Yeah. We haven't brought up pumpernickel yet. I don't know pumpernickel bread. I make a a mean banana bread. My dad makes cranberry bread and sends it to us for the holidays that come at the end of November and the holiday christmas holiday cranberry bread seems very appropriate for advent for those reasons yeah yeah okay so or maybe just like fruit bread in general because mm-hmm. that tends to happen a lot in that season of the year and advent has like surprising things that come yes <laughs> for the record my dad's cranberry bread is not not like whatever the like fruit bread thing fruit cake fruit cake it's not fruit cake. Oh, okay fruit cake? it's like no. actually good it was like i i wasn't we would that. we would give all of our teachers cranberry bread for a like christmasy gift at the end of the semester and it was always there like they all always looked forward to it and were really excited about it so like this is like primo cam- primo cam- cranberry bread just for the record lest we think 
anything else of my dad's ability to bake. I don't know. I don't know why I'm defending my dad so much. We would never insult the honor of your dad's <laughs> oven? I... <laughs> okay. I really love this. And we're definitely going <laughs> to have a special post at some point <laughs> that is like, yeah. in case you missed it, these are the breads that we came up with for the season <laughs> of the church year. You want to make your own at home. I do, this is kind of circling back, but I do love my guy. I love that you were able to bake bread for the people of Messiah Lutheran Church. And I love the idea of like, sometimes it's hot dog buns. And like that, I think that is a space that we have gotten to live into for those of us who have done virtual communion of like making that connection between being fed at the table in communion and being fed at our dining room, kitchen, coffee tables in our homes. And like that those are connecting pieces, especially in the context of a pandemic when we were isolating and alone and all of this stuff that like disconnects us to have. And yet we are connected by completely different food, right? Like Mm -hmm. by gluten-free crackers, by Krispy Kreme vaccination donuts, by my uncle's bread, by your sourdough bread. And I love the idea of Krispy Kreme being part of communion. That seems really appropriate. I've been there. Maybe this is just me being from Illinois. Um. But, but also right. Like that it's, it's not just a Krispy Kreme donut for me. It's, I get it for free because I've been vaccinated, Krispy Kreme <laughs> well, yes. donut, which is like an extra level of delight in my book. But like yeah. that, I mean, one time I had carrots and a smoothie, like a, a fruit smoothie for communion. And like sure. that there is that space for the way that I talk about it is something to eat and something to drink, something that's nourishing and something that's celebratory. Sometimes coffee is nourishing and sometimes coffee is celebratory. (laughs) Smoothie was nourishing and donut was celebratory or carrots are nourishing and coffee is celebratory. But yeah, there's there's those connections that we get to make. So I both love that you got to bake bread as part of that and that they sometimes use hot dog buns. Yeah, because that was the easiest thing to find. Yeah, and I I do do love, I think that's like my favorite favorite thing about zoom communion like it was all i mean it's we've all just really been through it the last year and a half and i'm really surprised that more pastors aren't talking about like the power of communing in your own homes using what you have available Mm -hmm. that's also a big accessibility thing like there are folks for whom zoom church has been a huge gift because you know, maybe they have anxiety and don't like to be around other people or leave their homes or, you know, maybe they are disabled and it's just physically better for them. Yeah, I think that's been something that we've talked about at Trinity Las Americas, both like, and I think there's, I know there's been a big push from just from disabled people broadly in the many com- communities that they participate in to not just go back to normal and I think there's a push from all of us from a lot of us to not go back to normal because normal was not in fact working but to to push in from no online presence to all online presence to now finding ways to be hybrid and there are people who like know how to figure out how to do it right like we are consulting with somebody to make sure that we can do it in the best way possible 
for our community and for our budget because Mm -hmm. we are a particular type of faith community but but that space of communion as yeah this gift of it's about what you have where you're at and so like we just started doing in-person outdoor worship and we're not providing communion for everybody like we have a little bit for if folks don't have any but it's definitely a bring bring what you have for communion from your homes to continue this even as we move into into in-person and eventually we'll go back to our Hawaiian loaf and Welch's grape juice that is so very common in Methodist churches but that space of this is still communion even when we're in person Mm -hmm. your bread your cup your cookie your cracker is communion yeah and we celebrate that together and I really I really love that and I do think that that's a missed opportunity for folks who are not continuing to make those connections yeah also so Micah yes mix Micah I have two questions so you are a candidate for ordination and you're looking into the future of getting a call but also in the meantime I think you have some time that you're waiting so for folks knowledge you are available for pulpit supply yes I am available for pulpit supply my Wife and I are moving to Austin, Texas, and by the time this comes out, we will be in Austin. So I will be available in person. I am fully vaccinated. I'll be available for in-person pulpit supply or Zoom pulpit supply. If you need me to pre-record a sermon, I can do that as well. Yeah, y'all, please hire me. I do not know what my prospects are for finding a call, and I'm in this really anxiety-inducing liminal space as a trans candidate uh, for ministry. Yeah, because I was thinking about that, I think, last night in the middle of the night, and I was like, oh, I have to make sure that people know that Micah can preach for them. And I love preaching. It is important. That's, like, my favorite part of ministry. Yeah, which is good, because, you know, that's a big part of a lot of pastoral ministry. (laughs) Yeah. Preaching. So, all you Texas folks... And virtual slash, I I really think we should make better use of pulpit virtual pulpit supply, actually. Yes. Because I think even when people are gathering in person, it makes sense. It, there's just so much more opportunity to introduce people to um, new and different voices for them yeah. when we have access to virtual, virtual sermons. And I think that that is a gift that is likely to disappear after this. Um but like I'm doing this the Sunday for this episode begins a month where I'm at a congregation and I'm one of three people doing sabbatical coverage and none of us are in person and they like have contracted with somebody to do the necessary in-person stuff yeah but the gift of the pandemic for this congregation was like I mean the pastor's sabbatical plan for last year got totally scrapped but then it gave them the space to say how do we be intentional as a congregation of taking this sabbatical time to learn and grow. And so it's a, it's three very different people who are particularly very different from the pastor that they currently have to be able to bring different voices to the community. And I think that that is a gift that now that we know that we can do it virtually, we should live into more. Yes. And this is, this is how I've seen a lot of like, LGBTQ to spirit, IA plus people, find employment, and BIPOC that is online because we use social media as as networking and support. 
and you know it seeing the erasure of this virtual pulpit supply that has come about in favor of returning to quote normal unquote <laughs> will also just lead to the further erasure of marginalized voices in the church yeah, I've gotten to do a lot of pulpit supply in rural communities during the pandemic because I'm only at TLA part-time, and so I have, like, half of my Sundays available for pulpit supply. And it's a gift to me, and it's a gift to the congregations to be able to hear a different voice and to see a different per- kind of person. Um, and I don't I don't want to lose that gift for congregations. Yeah. Yeah. And on the preacher's part, I can now say that I've preached in Virginia, Texas, and Alaska, and I've never actually been to any of those states in person. So that's kind of cool. That's very cool. (laughs) Yes, it is also very cool to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Also, Micah, you are a master bread baker. You might not consider yourself that. There might be actual rules about who counts as a master bread baker. I don't know. I made up that thing. And so if it's an actual title that has rules, my apologies. But I'm curious what your favorite bread baking recipe is. Hmm, I think my all-time favorite has been... Honestly, I'm going to go with the roasted garlic and rosemary sourdough. Now I'm even more appalled that we have not had that together. (laughs) Honestly, same, because I love sharing bread with people. I mean, you've shared bread with me, right? Like, we've shared lots of bread, just not... Garlic. And I like I like roast my own garlic for it. It's sublime. I love roasted garlic. It's just so good. Yeah. My that's the other thing my uncle has is he grows they grow a lot of stuff on their property and among that is garlic. So he sent me a bag last fall. But I was talking to him the other day and he was like, Yeah, so you'll have some garlic coming to you soon. <laughs> I was like, Awesome, Uncle Roy. I am so excited about Excellent. it. Excellent. And I believe um, I can provide a link for that recipe. Ooh, yes. I I am all for, like, share the recipes, share the so-called secret ingredients, like, share freely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's great. I'm super excited. I think, like, so full disclosure, this is our first, this is our first episode that we're recording in this series. Because recording in order is just boring and not nearly exciting enough for us. Totally overrated. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is ask all of our guests what their favorite bread recipe is. Or something like that. Something where we're like getting some recipes for folks. Because I think that sounds fun. And if they don't have one, then I will share my favorite one for making pizza dough. Super easy, super quick, super fast, because that's like the only recipes I love to make. (laughs) So, Micah, we are delighted that you were able to join us today, and Mm -hmm. it's it's wonderful to see you again. And do you have any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Life, the universe, and everything. I don't know, these days I feel like I I know so very little, and there are more questions than answers. So that's what seminary is for. <laughs> yeah, seminary's been a wild ride. I think most of my thoughts these days have revolved around um, learning how to live into questions and learning how to live with them. As a trans person, I live in a liminal space. It, it's just where I have my existence, and I'm finding that it's it's a really hard space sometimes, y'all, because just cis people. I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah, but it's also Agreed. so beautiful. 
it's where I have found um, the most life, the most enjoyment. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty in learning how to live into the questions. So I hope folks are able to find some meaning in that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And I believe that we have actually broken one of the rules of the internet and for that matter, the pandemic, uh, in that this is a Zoom call and we have not had Micah introduce uh, the cats to our listeners. And so. Oh, definitely. Micah, who's with you on this call today? <laughs> Judging me from across the room is my 16 pound long hair seal point cat named Snickers. She is very snuggly. And also very judgy today. And then sleeping <laughs> next to me is uh, Denali, a.k.a. the Gremlin Child. She is a long-haired black cat with a little white star on her chest and bright green eyes. And she is very yelly when she is not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is in the next room. My wife, Wesley, uh, who uses they, them pronouns, is also with me. Wonderful. That's awesome. We are glad to have you and your whole household with us Absolutely. for our podcast today. Glad to be here. Awesome. Our first reading for this episode is Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 4. Wandering in the wilderness after escaping slavery in Egypt, the Israelites complain that they will starve to death. And in response to their complaints, God provides quail to eat in the evenings and strange-looking bread called manna to eat in the morning. Coming as no shock to literally any of our listeners who have been with us for a while, although I haven't done this very much lately, a theme for this passage is Lumbus bread! Yay! Yay, Lumbus! Lumbus bread is the bread in Lord of the Rings. It's elven bread that um, the elves and many people can like eat. And the more you eat it, the more satis you are satisfied by it. So you don't need a whole lot of it in order to be filled. Um, at the beginning, you need more. But like as you go, your body gets used to it or whatever. Um, unless you're a hobbit, in which case... <laughs> You still need Second lots. breakfast is still going to be a thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I love the connection between manna, which is provided by God and provides for the needs of the community, and lumbus bread, which is provided and provides for the need, needs of the travelers while they are traveling to destroy an evil ring versus traveling through the desert because they messed up and need to get to this other land. But then there's other complications when you get to that land because it's already inhabited, but... Because this is what happens when men refuse to ask for directions. <laughs> or at least that's how that was explained to me as a child. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, that's not um, how it was explained to me. It was explained to me that the Israelites messed up and didn't believe in, didn't trust God. And so God was like, all right, And didn't ask for directions. See? the next 40 years. <laughs> yes, yes. Speaking of... Uh, in verse 2, we read, The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And this is one of those things, I don't know if our listeners have heard of it, but it's a thing called HALT. H-A-L-T. So if you realize that you are, that like, something's not right with your body, a good question to ask you yourself is either HALT or CHALT. 
depending on how dependent you are on caffeine. So (laughs) the optional C is, are you caffeinated? But then the rest of it, the halt part is, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you you tired? And if any of those things are true, then maybe go take care of that before returning to whatever it is that you're having trouble with or whatever state of being you are in that is problematic. Yeah, that will probably help. Yeah, so if only the Israelites had done that (laughs) instead of just being like, ah, woe is us. And if I remember correctly, I believe God actually does that later for Elijah and uh, oh, yeah. tells Elijah to have a nap and a snack. Yes. So, God. Yeah. And then another nap and a snack, I think. I think God does it a couple times with Elijah. Yeah. In verse 4, we read, And then God said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. I, I have to say that when I read, I will, I'm going to rain bread from heaven, Bread was not the first word I expected to read in that sentence. <laughs> like, usually when you're reading the Bible and someone is, is saying they're going to rain something from heaven for you, it's, or, you know, rain something from heaven in general, usually it's more along the lines of fire and brimstone. Which is ironic because it's actually not. But, like, that's our narrative around cultural biblical yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And so, of course, I immediately had a flashback to the movie Dogma uh, <laughs> with Matt Damon as the uh, angel character Loki complaining about what a workout raining down sulfur and brimstone is because, uh, by golly, uh, it, he really got in his arm day that way, I guess. So <laughs> That's fantastic. I You mentioning Loki made me think of the show Loki and I think the second or third episode. It's only a few episodes in on Disney Plus, but the second or third episode, there's like comets and pieces of a moon raining down on this planet. Um, But what I thought of when I read that first was the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I was reading it when I was hungry. I think I was doing this last night when I was hungry. And so I was like, oh, raining down meatballs. Because like... Then we get into it and God is providing quail and lembas. And so I had in my head that like God is providing food and God is going to rain down bread from heaven, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, I know I like to advise people to have their congregations make extra sure to eat breakfast before they come to church for these Sundays because of all the bread that we talked about. But I just now realized you and I should probably make sure extra to eat before recording these episodes. Yeah. (laughs) And possibly before planning for them. Yeah, which we didn't do. I'm halfway through breakfast. (laughs) And we're halfway through the episode, more than halfway through the episode. Okay. Yeah. Uh, In verse 12, we read, God says, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. So I don't know why this hadn't occurred to me before, but in a super practical kind of way, God is really making sense here because you can carry bread with you while you walk, while the mm-hmm. Israelites are traveling, but you have to cook meat right away. Like there, there is no, you, you don't want to carry that around with you for a day and then cook it that night. Mm-hmm. So you would want the divine grocery delivery to happen right as you stop traveling for the day <laughs> so that you can cook it immediately, right? Uh, This is clearly uh, a forerunner to the pandemic and having your groceries delivered. Uh, It's just that God does it, and uh, I guess it's for free. so Or possibly in exchange for some obedience, which doesn't actually work out that well, but, you know, we'll get there. Um, Now I'm picturing God as like an Uber Eats, DoorDash, (laughs) Instacart. (laughs) God. 
God and the gig economy. Oh, dear. No. Ooh, um, wow. That's a whole <laughs> other deep dive. Yeah. And and this made me think of uh, both Brad Pitt's character in the Ocean's Eleven series uh, of movies and also Phil Coulson from the Mar Marvel series because they both love gas station food. And a large part of that is because it travels well. You don't see Phil in the middle of a mission uh, pulling out like an ice cream sundae to snack on. He, he needs something that's going to be able to travel. So. Our second reading for this episode is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The author calls us to live in loving unity with one another, so that we may make the best use of the many various kinds of gifts that God has given us to do God's work in the world. So one of the themes for this passage is unity in diversity, and that is a common theme in a lot of the epistles or the letters we talk about. Side note. When I was a kid, I used to think letters were like somehow the alphabet, like that somewhere in the Bible, there were just like book A, book B, book C, instead of letters. Like Interesting. Letters. Okay. So that was how I made sense of people talking about the letters Bible. Anyway, diversity in understandings of words. <laughs> but And an importance, uh, the importance of Bible education. Yes. Especially for kids. <laughs> In the realm of unity and diversity, I was thinking about the Divergent series, and there is a very clear and explicit diversity that requires unity in different ways in the faction system, but there's also like the overarching goal that you find out, I think, in Allegiant, that the goal is actually to help create divergent divergence, where people are not where their brains are back to like growing and expanding and people are back to thinking for themselves. And so that's a, a gift is like the divergent are gifts. They're not experienced as that by like the dominant culture in the faction system, but they're actually like part of the goal of this community in Chicago, which is cool. Um, and then as we dive into the passage in verse one, the author writes that they beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that made me think of Jean Valjean in Les Mis when after he, like, he gets respite in, I think it's like an abbot or a convent. I don't remember. Do you know? A bishop, I think, who's bishop. like living next to a monastery or something. Yeah, yeah. something like, like a monastery or something like that. So he gets put up for the night after he gets out of prison and then steals almost all of their silver and stuff gets caught by the police the police bring him back and the bishop's like oh you forgot the candlesticks <laughs> and like right adds candlesticks to his pile but then there is this like blessing type of thing that the bishop says to him and i don't remember the exact phrasing but it is this like now may you live a life worthy of this gift that you have received of mercy of grace of whatever um, because he didn't get just sent right back to jail. And so there's just this beauty of live a life worthy of this. And he does. I mean, he does his best to. He does his best to grow and nurture and support other people as well. In verse 2, we read, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So the thing about living in community is that sometimes you're just going to have to put up with each other. <laughs> It's not always about, you know, love and gentleness and kindness and generosity and all that. It, sometimes it's just being tolerant is the best you can manage. <laughs> and, and that happens. 
And I have to say that I think bearing with one another in love is possibly the most diplomatic way I've ever heard that put. <laughs> Like, you're not necessarily doing this out of love for each other. You're doing this out of love for the community, right? And that made me think of the example of toward the beginning of the Girl Genius webcomic. Uh, it's made clear that some of the kids on Baron Wolfenbach's airship school for noble-born children, who are also handily doubling as hostages for their family's good behavior, uh, really cannot stand each other at all. They come from very different backgrounds, they don't like each other a bit, and uh, they have a variety of different ways that they uh, judge each other uh, worthy according to various axes. But the thing is that they have limited space and very limited control over their lives, and so they bear with each other, uh, sometimes more patiently than others, <laughs> because that is just the only option they've got for making life livable. I am not familiar with this comic, but it sounds awesome. It It is wonderful. Yes, I like it. It's also been going for like 14 years, so there's a ton of it now. Wow, that's yeah. maybe too much for me. But Well, it, you know, take your time. Yeah. As we continue in verse 6, um, we read, One God and parent of all who is above all and through all and in all. And I just want to like end that with, So say we all from Battlestar Galactica. Because <laughs> it just fits. Yes. There is, after all, that one bit in the new in the New Testament somewhere that really just sounds a lot like Yoda talking about the way to the dark side, and in the same way, yeah. yeah. Sometimes that just happens. Yep. And then in verse eleven, we read the gifts God gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and so on. Uh, and this is why the whole system that some people try to put in place when they're doing storytelling in either historical or historical-inspired settings, where every oldest child is forced to inherit their parents' professions, it look, that doesn't work. That never has worked. <laughs> in most of history, people have recognized that that doesn't always work. Uh, and, like... I was imagining how this might work out for my family, and I might be able to function as an audio audiovisual professional or as a college advisor like my parents were, mm -hmm. but I'd be miserable not being a pastor. Mm -hmm. My husband would really hate being a teacher like either of his parents because uh, he really wouldn't enjoy cat herding dozens of kids at once uh, in the least. So I... Neither of those would work out. You, you aren't just supposed to inherit your parents' profession. It, you do have to find what works for you in some way. Yeah, I would also not enjoy being... Actually, I, like, I could maybe see myself doing an engineer type of job, but I don't think I would actually enjoy it. And I would not enjoy doing retail work. And yeah, I like that's what my parents did, and they enjoy it, and they're good at it, and it certainly provided for us, but... And then our gospel reading for this episode is John chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. The large crowd follows Jesus and the disciples to Capernaum in search of more signs or food. And Jesus challenges them to focus less on daily bread and give thanks to God for the true bread from heaven, Jesus' own self. So this reminded me of, um, no. so this passage, one of the themes is this search for spectacle. Right, Jesus calls them out for looking for more signs. You've had both the like you've had your fill of bread, but also like you're looking for signs. And there's this whole discussion about like the signs from God, and 
it reminded me of the book The Night Circus, which I read a little, really long time ago and I really loved. And it's this way of, like, the characters. There are certain characters who can blend magic into this night circus. Um, but yeah. then also, like, they get bound up in it and it's all sorts of complicated, but it's this competition. There's a sense of competition to, like, create increasingly spectacular um things for people to see at the night circus so in different tents and that sort of thing and so that like spectacle increases and increases and increases and people who are coming to the circus just are like looking for the next great spectacle yeah i also remember i read that book quite a while ago and the world building was really interesting yeah i really loved it i have a friend who i lent it to who did not but i really loved it And then in verse 24 and 25, as we begin, we read that when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were still where they had been gathered, they got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they talked to him. And this made me think of like a game of hide and seek or capture the flag, like capture the Jesus, find the Jesus. Where did he go? Because presumably they like leave in the middle of the night or something when people aren't paying attention. And so then it's like... (gasps) to go which reminded me of in the first book in the divergent series divergent um there's a point at which all of the initiates go and play capture the flag not just in a field or whatever but like capture the flag in the entire city of chicago where the story takes place and so they're like climbing up the ferris wheel to try and find where people are and it's yeah so i was like this is brilliant brilliant um yeah, so I'm just like picturing like somebody climbing up a Ferris wheel to try and like figure out not like a, not completely like Zacchaeus, but like <laughs> wh- where are the flashlights? That, like where are the lamps that lead to Jesus? Like who has any like indicator that like ah Jesus there in Capernaum? Let's go there. Yes, uh, a Ferris wheel is exactly what the Zacchaeus story needed. All right, thank you. Uh- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, In verse 26, we read, Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Well, to be fair, Jesus, some of them are probably following you because you cured them of illnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would have been super useful at the time. Absolutely. Also, it's hard to think about signs and theology and stuff like that and like Jesus's metaphorical use of language when you're hungry and someone (laughs) is offering you food. It's like Mm -hmm. how on the TV show House, almost no one actually liked House for his personality. They all came to him because he's an excellent doctor. And so he healed them and they weren't generally interested in his theories about how the world works. (laughs) If you're being a jerk to me, why do I care? Yeah. Why this is happening, I just want If that is the price of getting my kid healed, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't have to enjoy it. Right. Yeah. In verse 31, the crowd says, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. And I was just thinking about that and thinking about, like, tradition, tradition. From the <laughs> of, like, our tradition Absolutely. is that our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Food! Food! Yay. Tradition! And then in verse 35, we read, Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And to sort of continue along my theme from the last comment I made, uh, so we're agreed that saying this metaphorical concept to people who are probably actually hungry and want lunch is kind of a jerk move on Jesus's part, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, this is not, yeah, 
as empathetic as we would like to think of Jesus being. Uh, I realize that Jesus came to be one of us and understand our problems and all that. But aside from that trip into the desert to be tempted by Satan, I kind of wonder if Jesus would have actually experienced hunger on the level that some of these people might have been. Like, in terms of genuinely not knowing where his next meal would come from. He grew up as the child of a skilled artisan. Uh, so does he really understand what hunger and not knowing where your next meal is coming from is like? Because some of these pro people probably do. For sure they do. Yeah, one of the better descriptions of what that does to your point of view, your understanding of how the world works, your base operating instructions, like how your mm -hmm. brain functions. Um, one of the better descriptions of what that does to how you work as a person uh, is something I found in Orson Scott Card's book Ender Shadow. And the character Bean grows up in abject poverty on the streets of Rotterdam. And later on in the book, he encounters kids who are actually, I think, a touch older than him, but around his age, uh, who did not grow up like that. They grew up, you know, middle class. They didn't have to worry about food. They uh, had whatever they need needed. And people like that never quite seem normal to him. Like, it's not normal to grow up knowing where your next meal's coming from. It's not normal to grow up expecting that you will survive the day, even, for him. And uh, so I kind of wonder if Jesus really got that in a, in a deep sense, the way that he probably understood the frustrations of, you know, dealing with carpentry, because he would have done that for several years before, uh, before teaching, so... Yeah. And well, and I think there is a sense of like in that time period, you know, carpentry work was not necessarily guaranteed. And so there is some space yeah. of that. But it's also true that like the the cultures, poverty culture, middle class culture, wealthy culture run really deep. And partly because we don't talk about them, they impact how we experience the world much more strongly. Um, I've been having conversations recently with some folks about finances and um and the reality is, I think, that when in relationship, particularly with people who have a different income level or are in a different economic bracket, everybody has shame around money. Yeah. It's just a matter of what that shame looks like. Like for some, it's a shame about not having money. For some, it's a shame about having more money. And and those are all real experiences and things that like we don't talk about enough in the church. And this is turning into a whole stewardship sermon, but like we need to talk about the shame that comes around money and the ways that that harms us. And that shame is not from God, that the realities that people are in economically are not ordained by God. It's set up by this yeah. capitalist system that is built to devour people. And that we could change if we wanted to mm -hmm. as humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like any congregation that's doing a stewardship sermon and not taking into account economic injustice is not doing a stewardship sermon or series or whatever campaign stewardship campaign that's what it's called i could expand on that but it would wander into healthcare and we'd be here for several more hours yeah. so <laughs> i feel like we're gonna have a like stewardship series at some point where we're like let's probably. just talk about money all the time probably in the year of luke so maybe next year possibly yeah Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest, Caitlin B Riley Beck.
This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H. Or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our full guest episodes and interviews, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that. Though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax Vobiscum. Vobiscum.